It's quite an echoey kitchen, so that might help. Alright. Oh, and I never fixed your bio. Fuck. I hear the music in the background. Is that you, Jerry? Yeah. Okay. I'm playing it so you can hear it. afternoon and welcome to Nox Mente. Today's guest is Mark Anthony Wyatt from Cornwall. Mark is an author, researcher, musician, and his latest book is, uh, oh, I forgot what it was. What's your latest book, Mark? <laughs> the Spirits of Cornwall. The Spirits of Cornwall. Uh, volumes one and two. Oh, but, uh, sorry, The Spirits of Cornwall, A Haunted Legacy. Volumes one and two. Haunted Legacy, excellent. Yes, yeah, so yeah. welcome to the show, and I apologize for the shitty bio. I will fix it in the uh, in post. I'll fix no it worries. in post. I'll no fix worries. it in post, my man. Anyway, Mark, I had the pleasure of meeting Mark in uh, was that October? It was, yeah, yeah, mm. in October at the Strange Realities Conference. We hung out. We 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 uh, broke bread. It was great, great getting to know him and hearing his story. So it's this should be a great show. Yes. Welcome, Mark. Are you friends with Jane Cox and Jim McGarry and all them over there at the Museum of Witchcraft? Um, that's interesting. We want uh, Boscastle in Cornwall, yeah? I don't know the current people there, yeah. so I, I didn't recognize those names at all, but I knew Graham King. Graham King was the owner for, I don't know, probably 20-odd years before. Yes. Yeah, and I actually met met him in a strange way. I I used to work as a uh, landscape gardener, and I used this. I, I expect you know. I don't know if you've heard. There was a massive flood at Boscastle, where the museum is. When was this? Oh, this was um, probably. I'm guessing now, but I think it was about 2007 ish. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. I, when you said that, I thought maybe it, it happened again. <laughs> no, no. They um, they lost a lot of. Exhibits, I believe, um, sort of washed away, I believe so, anyway. But I knew Graham from, sort of, well, from about 2000, about the year 2000. I was working as a gardener, and I used to go and cut the, the sort of like um, very ornate sort of grass sections in the little village on the coast there. And, or they were before the flood. <laughs> they literally got ripped away. And I used oh, to cut wow. those pieces of grass, and Graham, the, the owner of the Witchcraft Museum, used to come out and make me a cup of tea. Well, make the cup of tea first, then come out. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I got to know him quite well, but I believe he handed over to the people you mentioned uh, probably a year or so ago. Oh, I didn't realize it was that recently. Wow. Well, I'm not sure. I'm probably out of touch, but yeah, I haven't been there for a while. I actually don't know what, because Gemma has her own books and Jane, they run uh, Troy Press and I just affiliate them with the, with the museum for some reason. So I'm not sure who actually has ownership or all that, 
but they, they oh, are, right. okay. they're in the mix over there. Yes. Uh, yeah. But I love Cornwall. That this is so great. I'm glad to have you. Jerry spoke such so highly of you. And despite all the troubles you and I have both had this morning, well, morning for me, yeah. we are yeah. on air and live, so this is working. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I'll do my best not to swear. Then. <laughs> oh, you can swear you can away. Swear like a sailor. <laughs> we don't give a shit. Yeah, I think I've got it out of the system right now. So. Yeah, I'm. Uh, Oh, what, what's the phrase? Um, the people that used to smash up the machinery. Oh God, it's gone now. The the, the people used to smash up the machinery because they didn't like it taking their jobs. The Luddites. Um, yes. No. Yeah. Luddite. It is Luddite, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I think that's what I'm like with technology. So. <laughs> right. That would apply. That term would apply. Yeah. Then. Absolutely. Yeah. The laptop nearly went out the window when I was trying to make a connection. <laughs> <laughs> I, but you know it, it's just one of those days though I, it's not just you and us there i was talking with other people that seem to be challenged today so yeah climate influences i think yeah. yeah it's a it's actually a rough month that way mm. so let's just dive in tell us give us a a snapshot of your earliest memories in in this life is Mark and the stuff that, that still sticks out as far back as you can recall. And this can include, you know, mm. pop culture, like cartoons okay. and movies, all that stuff. Right. You, you might have to shut me up because yeah, so I, I love all the retro stuff. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> um, my, yeah, my, my, my earliest memory was um, very, very strange. Cause I, I lived on a, the site of a gunpowder works and, um, I, I can't, well, I've got one memory from those days. I left there at um, about 18 months, I believe. And my earliest memory was being pushed over a little footbridge over a artificial string, a, a leak, I think you call it, on these old railway, I don't, don't think you call them, um, in America you don't call them this, but, but we call them sleepers, railway sleepers. They're like the wooden... Uh, beams underneath the iron railings of the railroad. And the bridge was made with those. So if you can imagine those big timbers that go on your railroads to support the rails, does that make sense? It does. And also I was wondering yeah. what age you were. Oh, right. So I was around about 18 months, I believe. Okay. But oh, I was good being pushed over there in a, um, in a push chair, like a pram thing. And I had a red tractor. Um, it may have even been a Land Rover. It's like it's gone. The memory's gone now. But I, I remember sort of throwing it in the stream, and it, the stream was obviously it was probably went to a lot of water in there. And I can remember seeing it flying off and sort of just you know twenty foot in a matter of seconds, sort of thing and sort of screaming because I lost this toy. And I, I remember it was definitely red and it's quite big. And um, so that is my earliest earliest memory at all that I remember. Um, after that, I can't really remember too much until I was probably sort of four or five. Um, and not a lot really for most days. Um, I don't know where you want me to go with this, really. I mean, I can... 
No, no, no. I just, I just say pull. I like to get a foundation that people have a foundation of mm -hmm. who, who you are. So did you enjoy any, uh, like cartoons on the telly yeah, oh, definitely. Um, yeah I mean I, I had a lot of favorites and uh, I was born in 1960 so I, I sort of timed it perfectly for um, so we say the, the Batman TV series which you oh, know yes. most of my generation loved it and and I didn't realize until I was older that it worked on different levels you know I mean at the time as a kid you take it at that value you know it's just exciting stuff for a little bit you know but when you get older you realize it's hilarious as well <laughs> yeah, they're quite um, cheeky but for a kid oh, too the, the colors <laughs> oh, the color, yeah and i'm actually <laughs> in love with those sort of bright colors i still am i think i was very affected by that um, mm -hmm. i mean you get that on uh, so i think is it bewitched and similar programs as well i used to like bewitched um i'm probably thinking of a wrong show but um yeah I, I love all that sort of those sort of primary colors and uh i used to wear my phone just acted up that was a good period for mm. for cinema and tv all of it i mean there's so much yeah. so much good stuff i mean i still think mm. to me that was like the golden era Oh, it definitely was. Um, you know, I mean, I we had so much going on. I mean, I'm sure you did over there, but we had uh, the Avengers, the original, well, I'm not sure it's the original, but it's the 1960s. With, um, well, they used to replace the, um, the the glamour girl, you know, every now and again. But in my era, it was uh, Diana Rigg, who yes. played Emma Pill. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, that was probably one of my first crushes, I should imagine. And yes. uh, Patrick McNee, of course, who later turned up in the Oasis video, um, uh, the, the really big one, I can't remember the name of it, Wonderwall. Yeah, Wonderwall, Wonderwall, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he was in that video. Um, he was just so sophisticated and smooth and cool, you know. Did and you like some of the cornball stuff? Like, the, are you being served and all that? Yeah, oh, that was much later. That was um, 70s, really. But yeah, not so much at the time. I can I can appreciate it more now. Um, I think at the time I was more into, as I grew, grew older, I, I had my taste was more to Monty Python and Billy Connolly. The young ones. Uh, Bob, Bob Newhart, I liked him. Yeah, the young ones, that was the young yeah, ones, probably yeah. early 80s, I suppose. Faulty Towers. Yeah, Forty Towers. I mean, they, they wouldn't let them make that now, would they? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I mean, know. So many of these shows. Yeah, oh no, they wouldn't. No I, way. I don't think um, they could make MASH today, you know? Well, they just had, I mean, I don't know if it's still running, but I mean, Little Britain is kind of intense. For that it. is, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I, I, I've seen it a few times, and I don't know. It's Maybe it's probably me but i find some of it is just uh beyond <laughs> beyond what i can take it's I, crazy I like, <laughs> yeah but well i just think they can be really really repulsive at times <laughs> yeah i mean they push and that line they, yeah i've got a thing like i don't like repulsive humor i mean i, I don't mind it sort of being hinted at or you know but when they push it too much yeah that's just not for me 
And I, I love a sketch when he dives off the diving board when his mate's not looking, you know, that sort of thing. That, that's, I'm, I'm fine with that. But, you know, yeah. sort of ridiculous humour. I love Father Ted. And to me, Father Ted is like as good as it gets. Yeah. You know, that's an amazing show. Probably my favourite comedy of so. When you were young, did you, uh, I know you're in Cornwall, I'm not sure exactly where, but did you have a relationship with nature? Oh, definitely, yeah. I, I was brought up in um, in Surrey, what we call the Surrey Hills, mm-hmm. uh, in a valley called the Tillingbourne Valley, which is where the Stumpelder works. And it's a very wooded, very hilly place. Um, and I was, I mean, we, all of my generation, we spent most of our time outdoors playing in the fields and the woods. We We were lucky we had... Um, the Italian prisoners of war had built these um, pillboxes, like concrete pillboxes, like defensive um, circular buildings, where, which would have housed machine guns. But obviously, you know, Operation Sea Line never happened, so the Germans never arrived, they never got used, except for by my generation and the generation slightly before me. We would play in those pillboxes because there was a line of them that circled London, and we were, I think, I'm just trying to remember now, about an hour out of London, and so we were in the countryside, but we were very, very close to London. You just get on a train and be there, you know, 40 minutes or so now. Um, but these defensive pillboxes, these concrete pillboxes, were put on the edges of woods, and they were sort of tucked away so that any attacking force that was coming in, obviously the Germans wouldn't have seen it till it was too late. You know, that's a fact. But it just happened to be in my village and all the villages around me where they put them. So they would have basically sacrificed us to save London. <laughs> I think that, oh, was wow. the, that was good. And there's supposedly lots of underground bunkers and stuff there as well, which were, you know, they weren't common knowledge. Only certain people knew about them. And they, because they were planning ahead for the resistance. They just found a bomb in so, London today from uh, a German bomb. In Soho, oh, did they? In Soho, yeah. See, that's oh, synchronicity right. while yeah. we're talking about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, my, my family was sort of touched by it. My mother was in a, um, she was brought up in Reading, which is sort of slightly west of London. And she was on one of these double-decker buses when bombs were dropping on the town. And an old man basically saved her by jumping, well, it sounds awful, <laughs> but sort of just co- covering her over, basically. And no, he wasn't a pervert. Um, he was covering her over to stop sort of any possibility of shrapnel, you know, killing her. And he, he survived as well. They luckily, he survived. But, and my father, where he lived, they had a, a aircraft factory just up the road and the Germans were bombing that and they were probably about a mile away and his back door blew off. <laughs> oh, that wow. was the closest he came. But that's just blast, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you can imagine how terrifying it was, you know, to be underneath it. I I, I can imagine, but not even really. Mm. The whole mess. What a mess. What yeah, about when so as a young lad did you 
what was your relationship with dreams and dreaming? Yeah. Well, okay. This I've I've had lots of very very strange dreams over the years. Um, some of them used to repeat themselves. I mean, I'll get, give you a classic example. When I was very young, I used to wake up and in a bit of a state and desperate to get back to where I was. And when my mum used to say to me, well, you know, she would be trying to calm me down and saying, well, um, where where have you been? You know, you've been here. You've, you've been asleep in your bed. And I, I would always give the same response, which still means nothing to me to this day, which was I want to go back to the farm where Tracy is. And it, it was repeated many times, many times. And I have no imagery of what that farm was or who Tracy was. And actually, I had a sister, I still got a sister, a younger sister, who was called Tracy. But when my mum would say, well, Tracy's here, because in those days we all shared a bedroom, you know, quite a small house, and five, five kids. And she would say, well, Tracy's here. And I'd say, no, not that one, the other one. And she'd say, well, there isn't another one. <laughs> so this was, um, you know, this happened many times. So I don't know what that was. Oh, I've, I've sort of got a, a sort of idea of what it might be. What, sure, what age sure range What age range were you in, Mark, when those were happening? Um, probably around sort of four, five, six, something like that. Um, and I, I, and the event eventually stopped. I mean, other things took over, really, but um, I can I definitely remember that happening a few times. Well, I find that I find it fascinating, since there was no apparent tie to that. What did you? So you suggested you may know what those were referring to. Would you share that? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not really. Um, a believer as such in reincarnation, but I'm not a disbeliever either. I'm sort of open to it because of other experiences I've had and people I know close to me who've had similar experiences. Um, so I'm fairly open to it, but I, I like to keep my options open and not commit to stuff, really. But I think it was possibly a previous life. and But but it's so frustrating because I know nothing about all I know is this, this phrase, which, which I've just said, which, um, you know, I want to go back to the farm where Tracy is. It means nothing to me. It's just a phrase, but it was always the same phrase. So I must have been in a deep sleep dream um, or memory, and it must have been clear to me at the time, but I'm not one of these who remembers their dreams unless they are of a special quality which are not really dreams, so, but maybe we could get there a bit later. But, um, yeah, that, that's my thinking. Yeah, that that's absolutely fascinating, especially since it's very specific and mm-hmm. uh, and not tied into your life here. So that would be on the table for me, of course. Uh, and also, I wonder, have you... So just just to get this out of the way too, are your are any of your relatives involved in any military stuff? Uh, my my dad was um, in the Royal Air Force, um, but it was what they called national service, you know, just conscription. 
uh, after the war. This was like um, the late 50s, I believe. Uh, he was in that for three years. Um, but other than that, well, my, my granddad was um, what they called ARP because he was too old for the Second World War. And he was sort of, he was quite lucky, really. He was he was too young for the first one and too old for the second one. That's the <laughs> so sweet spot. <laughs> yeah, oh, gorgeous. No, yeah, so lucky, so lucky. And I often think about you know how lucky we were when I, when I chat to mates whose dads were a little bit older, and they'd all been through the war, you know. And um, yeah, so he, he had quite a lucky time of it, really. Did you it um, at, at this age range between like say three and seven? So that would encapsulate the uh, this reoccurring dream that you had with the farm yeah. Tracy. Did you have any strange, what we'd call you know, paranormal experiences at all? Oh yes, 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 <laughs> plenty of them as well. Could you fill um, us in on those with that in that within that kind of time frame? And so we wrap yeah, all this I mean, together. Was, yeah, it was ongoing. I mean, it, it began really early. I mean, I, I can't remember the first one, to be honest. I mean, it's just all very blurry now. I mean, I'm nearly 60 now, so. <laughs> but I can remember I had a regular, I mean, I always, you know, I, I would always describe it as a dream to people, but I always knew that it was more than a dream. And it was always very similar. And it involved a feeling of something was coming to, towards me, but I never saw it. I never ever saw it, but some, I had this sort of uh, feeling of dread that something was coming towards me, and it, this would happen sort of you know in the middle of the night on the stage, and I would feel powerless to stop it, and every time I felt this was coming, I remembered that feeling from the last time, but I somehow managed. It's difficult to explain this, but I'd always somehow managed to forget what that felt like until it happened again. And when it happened again, I thought, oh my God, here we go again. It's happening again. And but my memory of what happened next, so to speak, is is almost like it's not like a film. It's not like a continuous this happened, that happened, that happened. You know, it's more like images of like almost like a roll of camera film and most of them don't work every now and again you get one it's just that sort of idea so i've got just sort of little little pieces of memory and that involved but it always involved moving along so we had a quite a small house um it was a council house so in america that would be section eight i think they call them but it was like um projects it was yeah but but in our case, it was I have to say it was a beautiful street. It was just really lovely, and it was in the countryside. We were very very fortunate, um, and it was just a lovely place to grow, fantastic. Place. And in fact, they've all been sold off now, and uh, we recently sold it for a huge price because of where it was and what a lovely house when my parents died. So you know it, we weren't unlucky. We we were in a lovely lovely place. Um, we had water right behind us. We had a river right behind us, and then fields and woods, and then we had a railway line on the other side of the road, um, and just just hills and valleys everywhere. Fantastic. 
So anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. So I would feel that I was rushing headfirst along the landing of the second, you know, the first floor of the house. And it's a very small house, so basically, you know, it's only a few feet, and then you turn, and then you turn and go down the stairs. And I would go headfirst down the stairs in my dream, and very, very fast. And every time I got to the bottom of the stairs, head first, flying, I would think, oh, my God, this is going to hurt. As, you know, seeing the wall in front of me and the door slightly to one side. And every time I would go through these, there was like, um, so, slight, so you'd get to the bottom of the stairs, and then on your right, in front of you, just over to the right, would be like a strip of glass bullion panels. And then a proper door, front door. And I would go through those glass panels. And I was always waiting for the, the pain. And the pain never came. I just went straight through this. Next thing I'd know, it'd be cold, very cold. And I've got one particular memory of being on what looked like a... Well, I always used to think it was like... Um, what was it? Alibaba on the 40 feet, a magic carpet. And, oh, yes. And I yeah. Yeah. I would, have, I would have read that when I was a kid or my parents. So that may be just imagery that's, you know, I've taken on for that. But I can remember being on this mat and I had something behind me that was um, communicating with me, like a sort of motherly sort of figure, but I couldn't see them. And I couldn't turn around. And in front of me, there were just children of various ages, you know. And this mat, it was like fluttering in the wind. So it had like sort of tassels on it. So you could, like, as the wind was sort of cold air. I'm not sure about wind so much as cold air. It was making it flutter. And I would be on this. And I'd be looking down, and I'd be seeing the street I lived in from the sky, but not that high. I mean, I'm talking about probably 20 foot above the rooftops. That's how it seemed. And I could see all the gardens. I could see, you know, this was like, you know, I don't know, small hours of the morning, maybe. And I could see gardens. I could see movement in the gardens, you know. Um, and eventually... And that's another story, really. Eventually, I saw um, a uh, what are they, like climbing bars, like monkey bars, in a garden. But it was a garden that you couldn't see when you were on foot. So it was sort of tucked away. It was near the railway line. And there was no way I could possibly know what was in that garden. But cut a long story short, eventually, I was invited to that house by a new friend. And... I knew that was there without without ever having been there before because I remembered it from my dream. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. That's a that's a, a solid hit too. And with that dreaming true or that precognitive stuff, did you experience more of that uh throughout your yeah. life of dreaming? Yeah, I mean not the same thing. It was it sort of developed and I and I like I said earlier about the the Alibaba, 40 Thieves, or whatever it was. I think that whatever these experiences are, they are colored by your own experiences 
um, you know, your own limited knowledge at the time or whatever. And, you know, whether you do that yourself or whether that's enabled by whatever's making you do it, if it's not you, <laughs> um, I don't know. But, yeah, it, it changed as the years went by. But I, I sort of noticed as I got older that it, it tended to be every few years. I mean, I'm only guessing now, but I would guess it to be sort of six or seven years or so. And as far as I know, in the last 10, 15, maybe 20 years, maybe, I haven't actually experienced it. So whatever it was has sort of stopped for whatever reason. I think it anyway. Um, I mean, I can remember being a, now how old was I? I was, we, when we left school and we, we used to hang out down this pub at the end of the road, and we all had bikes, motorbikes, and we would charge off to the coast and various places on the Friday night, you know, especially in the summer, and we'd just camp in various places. And we were at a place called, um, in Dorset, it was about, three hours probably from where we were. And they had an amazing castle there. And well, obviously still there. Like top of my head, probably 1100, something like that. And we were camping in the field sort of beneath this castle. And we'd, we'd all been out and we'd been eating a curry in this uh, town and having a few beers. And I can remember, I was, so we had a tent that had a, a zip up um, section and one of my mates had his lady with him I mean we were only young we were probably 18 I think and he so he had the privacy with his girlfriend and three of us lads we were all old schoolmates knowing each other forever we were in one section on our own which was more open you know you sort of come through the front of this tent and it's just like the three of us slept sort of like feet first feet you know as you come in and sort of tightly packed in separate sleeping bags. And during the night, I awoke to this, like a blue light, a very strange blue light. It was like, um, and I am, I am colour blind. I should say that, but I do, I do see colour, but I don't necessarily put the same labels on them, you know. Um, but it was like you get on a pinball machine. Um, there's that sort of fluorescent sort of light blue and um, it's the only way I can describe it but it was that sort of blue and there was a humming sound like well I don't know if you have them in America you, had, you used to have these electric milk floats so you know just run off a little electric battery uh, proper vehicle but and they had this sort of humming sound it was similar to that and next thing I know there's this figure in the tent and he's standing at the foot of all three of us, and he's communicating with me. And I, I couldn't move. I could just see him, but I couldn't move. I was trying to wake my mates up. I'd lie either side, and I couldn't wake them up. So I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. But this, uh, whatever it was, this tall, sort of black figure, was communicating with me, sort of telepathically. Telepathically. And it was based, I can remember saying to this thing, um, I'm not ready to go, I'm not ready to go. I was sort of panicky. Now, I don't know where I was supposed to be going. I don't know if I'd already been somewhere. I have no idea. All I know is I can remember that saying that. 
and it was very, very clear. And it was shaped. Um, I mean, I've tried to work out the height of this thing because it, its head was, well, I couldn't see a head as such, but like the top of it was sort of level with the top of the tent, which wasn't that high. So although it looked big, <coughs> I was laying down, so it wasn't that big. And it, you know, it didn't go through the roof of the tent, so it couldn't be that big. So I'm guessing probably around six foot, maybe a little bit less. And was um, it was it shadowy? So you say a black yeah, figure. So it, it was just yeah, very dull. I mean, it was a, it was a dark tent. All the time this was going on, I could see this sort of underneath the bottom of the tent floor. You know, they never quite go to the bottom. Yeah, I could see this sort of blue sort of light, this weird light, and then hear this humming. And this thing was just, as I say, sort of communicating with me somehow. And I can't remember how these, I mean, I've had to, this sort of thing's happened so many times. But I can never remember how it ends. We're very, I, I've got one, I can tell you about later, but um, I can never remember the sort of like detail. It's just like little images along the way. And in the morning, I made the mistake of, um, you know, because I was quite excited by what I'd seen. And wanted to share that because I made the mistake of telling the mates, and uh, <laughs> and even to this day, because they're not into at all. They're very sort of nuts and bolts. I believe in science types, you know. Um, so I made the mistake of mentioning, it to them. and they said, "Well, you know, I was trying to describe what this thing looked like, and I described its head as being sort of dustbin shaped." It was just the, the name that came to mind at the time, which was a, a bad move because um, <laughs> they thought that was hilarious. But it was more of a, um, like a long tapered sort of top to it. So it was almost like, almost like a monk sort of figure, except for the top half tapered almost to a point. But it had like a little, little circumference at the top. Hmm. And there was no face. You couldn't see a face. There was no features whatsoever, just like a dark shape. But years later, I'll just, just tell you a story again. Years and years later, I decided to jot down all my experiences and as, as a sort of way to get into the writing and sort of a bit of therapy as well, just to put it behind me, you know, just put it all there. And... Um, I did a bit of research on Fourth Castle and looked to see if anybody else had seen ghosts or UFOs or anything there, you know. And there was a regular sighting of a, of a, a sort of night-type figure there. So it may have been that, you know. But then, I, but then it, it seemed to be communicating with me, but I don't know. I mean, I can only say what I thought, what I felt, but... It's something you said about this is very provocative. So your experience was, no, I don't want to go with you again, right? Wasn't that? Well, I'm not sure about the again, but I can remember saying, I don't want to go, I'm not ready. I think, yeah, I think it was, I'm not ready. Uh And it was sort of panicky. I I can remember sort of saying that. And, you know, so I don't know, you know, I mean, we can all guess what might have been, but I don't know because I can't remember that at all. Right, right. But I was just trying to establish the mood. Um, no, I wouldn't say I was fearful of it at the time. It was more, 
sort of curiosity, really, like, what the hell are you doing in my tent, you know, our tent? And, um, I mean, what, one of the lads I was with suggested in the morning that maybe, you know, one of them, had, well, they call you all out at some point, had gone out to have a, a pee, you know, and came back and basically I was asleep and dreamt of this, you know, which is possible, I suppose. But then I, you know, I didn't dream the blue light. I didn't dream the humming. So. Yeah. Well, those are, I think, quite significant details. So you had mentioned in the telling of this that there was another one where there was a, a bit of closure or you went somewhere with it. Um, yeah. Well, that was, um, I'm trying to think when that was. That would have been, yeah, in the 90s. And, and the other thing about this is I've moved around a lot. I've, I've lived in the southeast corner of England. I've lived in the northeast up in Newcastle area. And I've lived in Cornwall. And I've also lived in America now um, for, you know, long periods of time. Um, and wherever I go, I get this. You know, I don't necessarily get that same stuff, but I get it's still experience stuff all the time, uh, most of the time. Just bear various stuff, really. So I, I don't think it's a matter of where the place is. It sort of follows me around, you know. Well, it's just everywhere. That's how I see it. I, I think some of this could happen. Um, this, the one I was going to tell you about was in the 90s. I was uh, laying in bed at night, and again, there was this... Um, it's difficult to explain it. <laughs> but there was like a, this blue light again. It was like the same sort of blue light. There's a weird feeling that sort of always precedes these things, which is like a, it's almost like you're being taken out of your um, environment. So everything changes, like the feeling around you is, is sort of markedly different to what you're used to, and it just feels different. Um, then, then you get this sort of blue light. That sort of happens at roughly the same time. And I'm, I'm now awake, sort of watching this and just curious about what's going on. And I can remember thinking, well, it, you know, but it's that same old feeling coming back again and thinking, well, this hasn't happened for a long time. I wonder what's going on, you know. And next thing I know, there was a, so I'm on the, it's difficult to explain this. So I'm in a, it's quite a small bedroom. There's the, the double bed. My wife is on one side to my left. She's closer to the door than I am. And the door, I'm not sure if the door was open or not at the time, but this little light comes in. And it, it very slowly, and it's not very high. I mean, it's only, I'd say, about a foot above the bed. And this little light goes down the bed very slowly. And I'm absolutely transfixed by this thing. And I'm trying to wake my ex-wife up. But I couldn't move. Same old thing. You just can't move. So this thing goes down to the bottom of the bed, and I'm just following it with my eyes. It comes across the bottom of the bed. It doesn't sort of just come straight across the bed, which always sort of puzzled me. It, it went down to the bottom and then just sort of turned along that. And when it got to right sort of opposite me at the end of the bed, it started coming towards me, getting closer and closer. And it, obviously the light's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually, as it gets really close to me, I realize that it's like a tiny 
And this, this sounds ridiculous, but this is what I saw. But again, I think it's more of a screen memory type thing. I don't think this is what I was actually looking at. But what I saw was a tiny, um, well, it's, it's weird. It was my wife's granny who had died probably a couple of years before, maybe. I can't remember the dates now. Um, but it was her. and. It was everything about her, the build, the way she was dressed, the sort of similar sort of way she was dressed. She was sort of quite sort of small. Well, she was very small, but quite, um, well, I have to put it, you know, not, not, not skinny. Um, <laughs> and she had something in her hand. And as she, she had sort of like, there's a bit of sort of sparkly sort of stuff going on, almost like she was dressed like a fairy. Or sort of that sort of old image of what you grew up with, rather than the folklore. And she had like a little stick in her hand, like a little black stick. And she brought it up and she hit me on the head. And I actually felt that as it hit my forehead. It really, you know, it sort of hurt momentarily. You know, it's, it, you, you knew you'd been hit by it. And that's all I remember. After that, nothing. So it was almost like whatever it was had knocked me out. So again, we have that same pattern, you know. That, um, that is fantastic, actually. So you had the physical sensation of being hit by this, the black rock. Oh, I actually, it actually hurt. And, and, and weirdly, actually, and, you know, once you start talking about stuff, it brings to mind other stuff. I got hit by, in fact, I put this in my, in my book. I was writing about the um, ghostly cyclists because there were quite a few of them I sort of found. And I had an experience only, which would have been about last year or the year before, where I was in a, in a place very close to where I am now. And I was asleep and I, I was in the process of um, moving out. And I was sleeping on the floor next, next door to a sofa in an airbed. And at some point in the morning, something hit my chin, like really, really hard, and it felt like a stick. And I can remember sort of jumping up and like in pain, but it was a strange sort of pain in that it didn't linger. And that was the same with the head. It, it hurts when it hits, and then it just stops. So, you, you know, it, whereas, you know, if you get clobbered on the football field or rugby field or something, that pain stays with you. For a while, could be a couple of days, but yeah. with this, it's instant, and then it's gone. This is uh, so. This all plays into a lot of uh, stuff I ask about the senses, and and I'm going to ask that as soon as I get this uh, question off board. When in these experiences we're we're speaking about right now, the the beginning sounds so classic. Uh, sleep paralysis except for there's yeah. so much other stuff involved here with the blue light and then yeah. th there's other stuff involved do you is there a difference here between a uh, sleep paralysis and these experiences for you or are they somehow tied together um for me they're, they're, they're the same thing i mean 
when when people say sleep paralysis, generally they're they're sort of ascribing sort of materialistic sort of ideas to an experience that, in my experience, isn't. <laughs> it's um, I don't think mm-hmm. it's like a, a, a motor action of a body or whatever. That's, I mean, yes, you do. I'm sure you do get that. I'm sure people do have them. But in, in my experience, they seem too real. Um, and, and there is like a quality to certain dreams, or we say dreams in the comes, but you know they're not dreams. Yeah. That's yes. just the way they present their information to you somehow. Mm-hmm. In, in, so give us an idea of how you experience the dreamscape and what what I'm generally looking for is just basic stuff. Color, sensate, which you've already addressed really. But you, uh, but can you read a uh, sm- sense of smell, uh, you know, the, yeah. the way it looks, just that the well, general dreamscape? Yeah, I mean, g- generally speaking, I mean, although everything I've said so far sort of points out, sort of points to this sort of like, oh, these amazing experiences or whatever, you know, uh, sort of very strange experiences. But they're not, although they are regular, or they have been regular throughout my life, um, but they're not the norm because in between those experiences, there's like hundreds of dreams that I never remember. I I sort of wake up and there's just like tiny fragments of these dreams. Um, They quite often, I'll be sort of working in a dream and I'll, and sometimes I'll be working in a place I worked at many, many years ago. And and I, I sort of, when, when I wake up from it, it's almost like I feel guilty that I sort of haven't finished the job or something, you know. And I want to sort of go back and finish what I was doing. Um, and I sort of know a lot of these people. I mean, when I say know them, I don't mean I know them from here, from this life. But I sort of know them, and they know me. And it's almost like I'm popping off into another dimension and sort of living another life and then coming back here. And I, I, and I think that may well be the case. It may well be that we've all got sort of um, concurrent lives going on. And we, I mean, I, I, I've heard so many stories from other people about that, you know, similar stories. Um, I mean, I, I had... I don't get. I did a chapter in my first book called "Dreams of the Dead," and that was because I'd had quite a few experiences myself. And I don't think I put anyone else's in there, but I've heard of other people since. Um, and I, I had a classic example of this. I worked with a guy called Jack Boyce. This was in the sort of late seventies when I first started working, and. I was working on a, like a plumbing counter, like selling people plumbing materials and heating stuff. And this guy, so this was about 77, 78. He had a son. I never met the son, but he was very proud of his son. And he used to always be telling us stories about, you know, how his son was getting on. And his son was really into computers. And Jack was always telling, oh, He's, he's just got a new computer because you, you know what it was like in the late 70s. Where, you know, they were huge things in um, <laughs> early days. And he used to say that this lad, and he did tell us his name at the time, 
he tell us tell us that he was um, working on courses and he was going to he was determined he was going to work in computers when he left school, and he was only like seven or eight probably at the time. And many years later, well, actually, this guy Jack actually came to my wedding in 1983, and he died about probably within a year of that he died. And many years later, I was having a conversation with my ex-wife about this guy. And I said to her, can you remember what his son was called? And she couldn't remember, I couldn't. And that same night, I had this really, really just graphic dream. It wasn't even, well, it wasn't a dream as far as I'm concerned, where the father, Jack, my friend, my old friend, he was quite, you know, he was, um, I suppose he would have been late 50s at the time when he died. He basically was stood right in front of me and he just looked at me and he sort of smiled and he said, his name is Andrew. And yeah, that was his name. And I woke up in the morning and obviously got this memory fresh in my mind. And I said to my ex-wife, I said, um, Jack's boy, he was called Andrew. And she said, oh, who told you that? And I said, Jack did. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Jack did it last night. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, no, honestly, I said, he came to me last night. Because she never really believed in stuff. But I knew that that was Jack. And I still, I know that was Jack. Because there were certain things about that character that was still in front of me. But it was obvious. I mean, it was, and it, you can't explain it to people unless they've had a similar experience. Because... There are certain things about that person that you didn't know, but you knew. And like a, a, can I put it, like a scent. In his case, I didn't know, you know, I would never have said when he was around, when he was alive, oh, he smells, because he didn't smell, no more than Mm -hmm. anyone else. But he had a particular scent that when I smelt it, I knew, it took me back to those days, and I knew it was him. Yeah. But in, in the preceding, like, I don't know, 30 odd years or whatever it was, I'd never once ever thought, I remember how Jack smells, because he didn't smell. <laughs> Do you see what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. I'm with you. This actually no. opens up the conversation into what do you think happens uh, since you have this uh, insight into interaction with those who've passed from this plane where we are. Well, um, oh, I wish I knew. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I get the feeling that it's, that they're all out, you know, I don't know, there's, there's part of me that thinks they move on um, to other lifetimes and maybe other timelines, you know, and, you know, maybe there is no time and it's all happening now. Maybe we have a finite number of sort of astral bodies that inhabit bodies or, you know, six or seven maybe, who knows. Um, and somehow, we're, this has been my thinking for a while, I think somehow each, if, if we just say, for example, say there are seven versions of us who are actually driving a body, if you like, somewhere <laughs> under a different name, but it's the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, soul or whatever, spirit, essence. Um, but maybe each one of those beings is 
uh, as each one of us is unaware of the others. So each one is as is exactly the same as not exactly the same, but has the same experiences as we do, and they may well be sort of um, have experiences of us. So, so it, it's like a dimensional uh, slices, and somehow there's movement between. Um, maybe not deliberate. Maybe it's just accidental. Or so my thinking is, it's a sort of multi-dimensional world, really. Um, because I've, I mean, I've definitely got memories which, well, possibly come from previous lives. I mean, I, I've got two horrific ones. Well, you started um, the whole show with this, the early experience. Yeah. That, with that Tracy really, and the farm. Yeah, I don't don't think that was connected. I mean, I, I don't know. The, the name doesn't suggest that it's connected. I'll, I'll tell you why, because... The first one, I remember having a very, very vivid dream, a terrible, horrible dream, where I was in a, I was in a very sort of dark place, surrounded by what looked like mostly older people and children, and we were all sitting on the ground in the dark, and but there were people on horses all around us, like soldiers. And these horses looked huge because, I mean, I was, I was looking through the eyes of a child. I couldn't see myself, but I felt like I was a child. And they were all around us, and they were sort of rearing up. The front ends, you know, was rearing up like, like they were panicking, these horses. There was screaming coming from all around. There were uh, men, were, men on the horses had, like, long sticks with burning torches. And they were, there was the sound of flames. I could see flames coming out of what looked like sort of, um, they weren't like those sort of very sort of peasanty type looking houses, uh, very basic. And there was just flames everywhere, smoke everywhere, people screaming, and these horses all around us. It was almost like we'd been all sort of rounded up. And that was the end of that, but it was so vivid that that one stuck with me. Um, you know, I was quite um, almost traumatized by that for a few days. Horrible, horrible dream. And then I had another one which sort of fitted, almost fitted it really, where I was in a field and I was sort of like just a, like a regular day daytime sort of scene but i was working in a field with other people and again they looked very peasant like you know um sort of russian looking i would say what you know general term but from a sort of like i don't know the middle of the last century backwards you know um sort of like very rough clothing sort of smock like baggy trousers um, and I was sort of working with these people, and, and again, I just sort of almost dropped into the scene. So I don't know what led up to it, but first thing I'm aware of is I'm in this field, and somebody comes running from the other end of the field, and they are absolutely petrified. Just the, the fear, I can still sort of see that fear in this guy's face. He was like an older man, and he just looked so scared. And he was running and he was screaming and he was basically telling us all to run. 
And at the same time he was telling us to run, we could hear horses, like horses' hooves and shouts. Like men shouting. Next thing we know, I mean, the next thing I know is I'm running. And everyone around me is running. People are falling over in their panic. And we're running between buildings. And we're sort of running into this sort of village or whatever it was. And we were sort of like, I was going left and right. I was just going anywhere just to get away as quickly as possible. And next thing I remember, well, I don't remember anything else actually. I remember it just ended. So I was being chased, or we were all being chased. I, I think we were being shot at, but I'm not sure about that. Um, and then it all ended. But again, it had that Russian thing to it, which puzzled me, because the other one had, had a similar feel to it. Do with with this kind of um, uh, first of all, I think one of the things that strikes me, and it, it strikes me every time I talk to people from the British Isles, but especially Cornish people, there's this there's this ins- really deep, rich history that that doesn't. Uh, it feels like the corn Cornwall in general has kept a lot of its mythologies alive mm. and all that. And I I wonder sometimes if that plays into why everyone I speak to from that area has such a vivid dream life. It's mm. been I've not had any exceptions to this rule. Now what people think of it is a, a different story, but everyone I've yeah. spoken to from your area, they vivid dreamers. Yeah. I mean I should I should say for a start, I'm not I'm not actually Cornish. I I live here but I'm not Cornish. Um but yeah, I mean it's, it's but what you say is is accurate anyway because it's it's a very small country, you know. Yes. And um we're I mean it's funny because we've got these silly little rivalries, um which is fun in sport and so on. Um, you know, the Irish and the Scottish and the Welsh and the English and the Cornish yeah. actually play for England in rugby because they they just they're not um what's the name recognised as a country as such. But they they were once a country. Yes. And a lot of people here still think they are, fair enough. Everyone um, I know does. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, all, all of these um, different sort of uh, tribal groups, if you like, we're all interrelated, I mean, very much so. We're, I mean, my my mum's father was a, a Thomas, and I believe that the Thomases were originally, I mean, there's loads in England, but originally I think they were Welsh. And, um, you know, I, I did my DNA and I was, I had some Irish in there and French. So, you know, we're all interrelated. So it's it's ridiculous, really, that we're all sort of waving these flags, really. But just the way it is. Yeah, I agree. You know, but we, there's we, we, a we've all got we've all got Scottish blood or Welsh or whatever, you know. Well, this is and, why I, I suggested the British Isles as a whole. There's such a rich history yeah, there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, whether that whether that plays into our dreams and. Oh, really? I mean, I mean, you you could sort of say the same thing about. I've been over in Illinois a lot, 
and um, I've, I've lived there right out in the countryside, and I've had some strange experiences there. Um, and we, we feel that there were like Native Americans, but well, they were, you know, obviously there were Native Americans there. Yeah. And yes. We we had some very strange experiences. We were living in Campbell for a while while we were doing a property up, and we had some very odd experiences. They they have Bigfoot around there. I mean, I thought she was joking. When Janice first told me, but it turns out no, they are Bigfoot. Yeah, where and in Illinois were you living? Um, near Springfield. Okay. Yeah, I, I did yeah, a lot yeah, of time in Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's quite a common thing. I mean, it's I belong to a paranormal group there as well, and um, I, I'm amazed by the stories they, they tell you about these Bigfoot. You know. Um. And it, you just don't—I don't know. I always—I always imagined it would be in the sort of forestry regions, but you know, Illinois, as you know, is sort of flat. <laughs> I mean, there's not that many um, big woods, not really. No, it, it's surprising to me, actually, and and that's part of why I was never really happy in Illinois. Also, there's not enough wood for me, and in the flat. Yeah. But it does get hillier, more rolling in south, hills yeah. in the south. Yeah. yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah well, I think they had a glacier go through there, didn't they, or something? That's how it got caused. That yes. Well, yeah. isn't, isn't Springfield near the uh, the New Madrid Fault? Yeah, I think that's the one we're saying. Yeah, I think that's that's a little bit further south. That's um, is it about two hours south? Maybe maybe three. I just think that whole area is energetically active, and yeah, those types of areas I think attract cryptids. Yes. Well, and there are mounds down there. Yeah, there's, right. I mean, there's exactly. a whole bunch of yeah, yeah, yeah. Lewis as well, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I find it fascinating over there. I think they, you know, they've got an amazing history. Um, and well, I, and know, it, we're so starting cool. to pull up more. With, I mean, yeah. there's some ancient artifacts now that are being found that are changing, rewriting history. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. The, yeah. you know, the Vikings definitely look to have been here. And earlier now, there's a new, a new site that's been exhumed, and it's, it's very old. So, Plus, that's really close to Metropolis, the birthplace of uh, Superman's. so back in on lucidity and lucid dreaming and astral projection and all that what yeah so you were giving me there is a lot of stuff in here so far that really would lead to the fact that you seem to be really rather lucid in your dream life so, like I say, though, it's not all the time. It's um, most most mornings. I'm sort of quite frustrated because I can't remember, you know, something that happened, so to speak, just like, you know, it seems like just a few minutes ago, <laughs> um, and and it just goes. It's just like I think some we're not really supposed to remember, you know. Um, so the ones I remember are not sort of. Um, they're not regular. Well, they are regular, but over a long period of time, you know. So all, all these these big experiences of the blue light and all that sort of stuff, that has happened probably that I remember 
probably three or four times in my life, nearly 60, you know, so it's not that regular. It's just it's happened a few times. Whereas my regular dreams, as I say, quite frustrating because I don't usually remember them. Um, I I have sort of odd... um, uh, I had a hag dream. I didn't know it was a hag at the time, but when people described what a hag is, I've had a hag dream. Share Um, that, please. That that is quite X-rated, actually. (laughs) Well, we do X-rated here. It would be you, you self-censoring, and everyone knows I personally love a wet dream. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> this, this is this is some time ago. I'm trying to remember it, but in fact, there's a few things that happen. In it's like I say, everywhere I've lived, I've had weird experiences at some time. You know, so it just sort of follows me around. There is particular one. I woke up in the early hours. These things always, for me, always happen in the early hours. And I woke up to see, and I'm t- I should set the scene a bit more. I was about, I was in my 20, I was probably about 27, 28. And I woke up, and there's this lady who's basically on board. <laughs> so she's literally, and she, she wasn't, I mean, I can't, I can't remember what she looked like, to be honest, now. I mean, so long ago. But there was a woman there, and my first reaction as a, you know, heterosexual guy, and I'm half asleep, is, oh, this is nice. And then I realized that Alison, my ex-wife, was asleep on my right-hand side. And then I thought, hang on a minute. So if that's Ali, who are you? <laughs> it was sort of thought process just came through. <laughs> and then, of course, as I realized, it was almost like whatever it was knew that I'd, you know, awoken and knew knew she was there sort of thing. And, she's, and it basically, this image of this quite attractive woman, I can't remember what she looked like, to be honest, but this quite attractive lady suddenly became sort of horrible looking, just vile and old and crabby and, you know, and with that, it just suddenly disappeared very, very quickly. It sort of shot off, like um, like a tra- left like a trail of smoke. Well, I say smoke. That's what it looked like. And it sort of went pop. It literally sort of went pop, like like a static charge or something. And that sort of happened in the landing. The door was open, and so it happened about I don't know eight foot away, maybe. So it sort of just blew off or went backwards. It sort of sort of went, went off backwards. And as it went off backwards, it sort of dissipated. And as it got to this point, sort of like 10 foot away, whatever, it just went pop. And that was it. It was gone. So it wasn't just like I'd imagined this thing. This, it actually had like a, you know, a trial as it left. Yeah, it had entered your sphere. That is uh, incredible. And I don't get a lot of that last detail where you could see that you could experience that it was actually had come in like that or left, you know, with the pop. Yeah, I I didn't see it arriving. I mean, it was just there when I woke up. I mean, I'll tell you how I I didn't mention that. The reason I basically, so I was obviously half asleep at the time, and I could feel some movement down there. (laughs) 
Yes, of not, course. Not literally, <laughs> not literally. This was the thing. I, I, this is the weird thing. I didn't feel like aroused by this thing, and I wasn't. It was just like, but it was there as if, as if it was. So whatever it was, it was enjoying. It wasn't me, but it was. You know, it wasn't. Yeah. Yes. Because yes. um, I wasn't involved in this thing. It was just this thing was there. Um, and, but I, I've had a few, um, not, not the same as that. I've had experiences where I've, I mean, particularly when I, my ex-wife's mother was getting really, really old and she used to have to go and stay with her, sort of like 250 miles away. And whenever I was on my own in that house, that was when whatever was there would let itself be known. Um, and it was very strange things happened. I, I would wake up and I would feel there was a, this sounds weird, but it was like, it felt like a little girl was like cuddling into my back. Either a little girl or a very small woman. <laughs> I don't know. But it was like a little girl was cuddling into my back. And I remember sort of waking up. It's happened a couple of times. And I remember thinking, but it was my wife at first. I mean, she wasn't very big. And um, then I think, oh, no, she's in Woking. She can't be there. And in, and, but it's at that moment of realization when you know that it can't be who you think it is. That's when it, it goes. It just leaves you. Yeah. With, with this, um, this, this always really intrigues me quite, quite deeply is the, when these things approach and from behind and kind of line up with the spinal cord, it did. So when you were initially, you think it's the wife. And then at that moment when you realize it's not, yeah. Was there ever a point of alarm or an unpleasant just, feeling just, of like? No, not really. It was more like this sort of surprise, like um, that bafflement. You know what was that? Mm -hmm. uh, but it was ne it was never scary. I mean, I don't think well, not not any examples I've given you. It was never scary. I mean, I felt for a long time. This was one particular place we lived in, in the Bell. Uh, 2000, no, 1999, I think, to uh, three years ago. And quite a lot of stuff happened there. And I always felt there were two little girls in the house, like Victorian girls. I didn't see them. I just had this feeling that that's who they were. It was a Victorian house. And I, I could never get the history of a house, you know, who lived there. I knew it. Ah, right, okay. There's something. This has just reminded me. So here's a good one. You'll like this. <laughs> a similar thing in the same, no, it was the same up, but the one that happened with the hag-like creature, that happened when I was in my 20s. Now, this one happened when I was at this other place. This, this was in Cornwall, but further up the road, like 90 minutes up the road. And it, it was a Victorian semi-detached, I lived with. And there was this, I remember having this feeling that it was something, it wasn't the same, it wasn't like a hag thing, I didn't see anything on this occasion. But I woke up and there was this like heavy weight on my chest. And it, I just, I felt it was really hard to breathe. 
And I was going through all this sort of stress, trying to push this thing off. And, and eventually I, it, it went. And from that day onwards, really, that night onwards, I don't like to sleep on my back. I always feel like a bit defenseless if I'm on my back. And I and I consciously don't do that if I can help it. And that's because of that experience, because that was scary. Now, I sort of, because I have so many things happening all the time, it's part of my life. I don't really, you know, a lot of, a lot of things just get forgotten, really, until somebody else mentions something. And I think, oh, God, yeah, that happened to me. So this particular thing had been forgotten, sort of. And I was, so this was about 2004 or five, something like that. My two lads were playing rugby for the local town feud. And part of my job as a dad was to sort of support them and drive them to the away matches. And there was a small network of us guys, mostly blokes, who took the sons to the matches. And one of these guys had lived in my property before me. And his name is Steve, Steve Mundy. So anyway, we're dry. he's very, very materialistic sort of guy. Um, well, he's just not into all this stuff at all. But we're driving back from the match. The boys are like talking amongst themselves. And he suddenly says to me, and I didn't know him very well. He said, Mark, did anything weird ever happen? Does anything weird ever happen in the house? And I sort of said, well, now and again, I suppose, yeah. And he, I said, what, what are you thinking of? And then he told me this story about what had happened to him. And it turned out exactly the same thing had happened. But I didn't suss that. When he first told me, I didn't say to him, oh, that happened to me. And I didn't think it. I just, I just listened to his story and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And it wasn't until later that, that afternoon, because that was in the morning, Sunday morning, I was laying on a sofa watching some rugby on the TV. And I was just thinking about the morning and what we'd been doing and stuff. And I remembered his story. And it suddenly it sort of came to me that he described something that I described differently. So I'd had the same thing happen, but the way he described it was totally different to the way I described it. But he was in bed, and his bed was in exactly the same place as where mine was in late, you know, like two or three years later, whenever it was, uh, in the same room. And I, I don't know if that's relevant, but it, it was, because I can remember actually looking around when we went to buy it. We, we walked around the place. Um, so, you know, it's almost like, well, confirmation, really. It was confirmation that some, it had happened to someone else. So you you mentioned, though, that it changed your sleeping habits. What made that particular experience a little more aggressive as far as, <clears throat> pardon yeah. me, as far I as... it's the only one, really, the only one that has been aggressive. I can't off the top of my head think of anything else that has been, really. Is it because you were choking or if you you couldn't breathe properly? Yeah, it was the lack of breath. It was almost like they were trying to sort of, um, whatever it was, was was sort of out to harm me, possibly suffocate me, uh, possibly, I don't know, possibly take over. Who knows? Um, mm -hmm. 
Well, it's, it's, it's validating that somebody later, your friend, well, this bloke that you meet later is tells the same story and someone who's not really open to this kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I I think he he was, um, you know, we've all met these people that they can't, for whatever reason, they can't accept that this stuff is real. Uh, so even though they have, that. even though they have, some of them yeah. have experiences. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they always come out with that expression, don't they? Oh, there was this one time, you know. Um, <laughs> but they, even when it happens to them, they, they, they just have to sort of file it away and not go there. People, some people are actually scared of this stuff. Yeah. And I, I've never been scared of it because it's just part of my everyday life. Really. Some people believe in aliens and space. You know, who not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and some to some people this is all the same I, well I think it is, it's just like labels it's just um, how we perceive things um, that, that might depend on which continent we're on which country we're in you know what our background is whether we're religious or not yes all sure. that plays um, in sure. your whole belief system is a filter yeah. through which you view reality mm-hmm. yeah, exactly yeah so yeah, I mean, I, I sorry, I'll Well, it, 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 I'm wondering where. So we had talked earlier about about uh, you speaking with, I think it was your friend Mark about his son. He gave you the name. Oh no, yeah, yeah, he he was um, Jack, and his, Jack. his son was called Andrew. Yeah, yeah, and and I had asked. Uh, a question regarding that kind of information and uh, your experience with the the dead and what is that? So in specific, now that we have some more information, uh, how do you think it's possible, more information regarding where you think, you know, that there there could be a multi, multi uh, experiences happening here, time overlays and all that. How is it yeah. that through dream in the dream scape, yeah, your friend in that identity as he was as your yeah. friend in this experience can yes. communicate to you something very clear and some yeah. a piece of information that is relevant to yes. a question you thought. How is that? How does that play into all okay. this? Okay. Well, I can only talk about the way I feel about it. I don't know. Obviously none of us know, but I I I believe okay, so this is so difficult to put into words <laughs> without sounding like a complete um looney cheese. But well we um, we deal in lunacy. Right <laughs> this is our field. Um I think when you when you talk about people that have gone, if they were in your life, if they were close to you. I think, and, and he was, he was a very, very good friend of me. You know, he taught me about cars and engines and stuff, you know. Um, he, I, I think you, by just talking about them, you, you somehow bring them into your space. Um, I, I, I think that happens. And it also comes down to, and I can't, I can't put this into words really, but the power of words and sounds, um, 
I, I think that's. Uh, I try. I try to get to this in my book. I try to explain, and I and I couldn't really explain it, but I could sort of hint at where I'm going with it. I think um, it's all about. It's like the whole sort of quantum physics sort of idea of you know nothing's really solid, and there's all this other. There's this sort of immaterial, and then there's material, and we we are like a filter that creates the physical in some respects, anyway. Um, but I think there's power in language and words, and just the actual sounds. And I think that's the key to all of it. I think the sounds and the maths, probably. I think and music. I think well, music sort of part sound anyway. So you've got all of that. Sort of weaving in, I think the answer one day will be coming from that sort of direction as to how it all fits together. We'll, we'll never see it, but <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I, I just feel that they're out there, sort of um, observing probably when they want to, they can come and go. Um, yeah, I, I'm talking myself to a standstill. I don't know because it's like that doesn't really fit in with the. I, I've always found it difficult to understand if, if there is such a thing as reincarnation, mm-hmm. then how are we seeing these people as they were? You no, know, you know they may have died years and years before, and, it, and yet we see them as we remember them. They, pre- they present themselves in a way that we remember, maybe. Um, I mean, actually, I, I did have a, a dream just the other day, the other night, and I had a I hugged my mother. My mother died probably, I'm trying to think I should know, oof, two years ago. And um, I hugged this lady. She, she, I, I can't even remember where, where she was. I think she was sort of standing in a field with some friends. And she was dressed very stylishly. This lady, I didn't know it was my mother. Uh, she was dressed very stylishly. She was in her sort of late twenties, maybe, sort of quite tall, slim, and she was dressed in a sort of like nineteen, sort of early nineteen fifties sort of look, with a headscarf, and she had um, spectacles on. And I remember she was with some people. And then I approached her, and then we had a hug. I didn't know who I was hugging until I hugged her. When I hugged her, I knew it was my mum. Mm-hmm. But it was the mum that I didn't know. It was the mum that my dad met, mm-hmm. you know, from an earlier era, like 10 years before I was born. Yeah. So um, so that's what I think. I think they're, they're out there, but... Where we, I don't know, they're alongside us, but we can't see them, can't sense them. But I think we, we have the power to sort of draw them in. I mean, I, I could I, I could go a lot further and tell you stuff that I, it's so personal, I, I really find it difficult to talk about. But I, I just said, I, I had a friend in uh, Tintagel, which is quite near that, which craft museum you're talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And he, he was an amazing guy. He died of uh, motor neuron. Um, he he died about like, six, seven years ago, something like that. But he was very spiritual. And I've always been into paranormal because I sort of lived it. I'm fascinated by it. 
but he was he never really had many experiences, but he was open to it, and he was a very spiritual guy. And he actually ran a healing centre. He, he was building it. I helped him build it, and I did the gardens for him. So I designed them, and I put a stone circle in. I'll I, I just digress for a moment. I'll tell you about the stone circle. So I built a stone circle. This is about 15 years ago. On this patch of land, in, uh, on this garden, which he just bought this place, and quite near Tintagel Castle, so in land a bit. And I'm standing there one day with a mate, we just having a rest from working in the sunshine, and a coach goes by on the little road, and it's full of Japanese tourists. And as they pass by, they're all taking, they've all got their Nikons out, <laughs> whatever they've got, at Empress's Weather, and they're all snapping away like they do. And we, we're just laughing and joking, we're just waving at them. And it wasn't until after they'd gone by, and my mate said to me, you know what they've just done, don't you? And I said, well, they took our picture. I said, yeah. He said, no. He said, they saw the stone circle. And it hadn't dawned on me, because it looks, <laughs> you know, they're old stones. They're old stones. I've just moved them somewhere else. And, and it was done very, um, so artistically, it didn't look like too neat and tidy. It looked like an old circle. And <laughs> those, those photographs have gone back home to Japan for many years now. <laughs> And they probably think it's like, you know, the Olympic Ancient, yeah. Oh, I love that. So this guy, Morris, he opened my eyes to, I mean, I've always been very open-minded because obviously when you've experienced a lot of this stuff, you know, you know, you don't know where we are. You know, you know, science doesn't explain 1%, you know. Um, so he sort of opened my eyes to things like um, focusing and intent, intention, and always doing the right thing, always doing the best. But he, he used to say, you know, whenever you get an option to do something, try and do it for the best. Um, I forget the other Best for all involved, or something like. That. Um, the best outcome for all involved, that was it. And so he sort of taught me these sort of spiritual truths, you know, which I never really thought. You know. And I tried to sort of identify a few of them. And he also, and I'm a bit out of practice at this, I have to admit, but he did teach me to sort of take myself out of myself, so to speak. So when, when you're having a conversation, especially an argument, about something that, you know, in a few years' time will be totally irrelevant. I mean, we, we could use something like Brexit as a reason, you know, as an example. I mean, everybody's upset about it now, one way or the other. But in a few years' time, people will think, you know, on their deathbed, they're not going to think, well, I wish I'd argued about Brexit. But, you know, right. they're not going to say something like that. <laughs> they're they're going to regret the thing, you know, I wish I'd cuddled the sun or whatever, you know. Yeah, that's the things they're going to regret. Um, but he sort of taught me a lot of this stuff. I don't think teaching so much as reminded me, maybe because I think we all know it. And um, one of the things he taught me was this intention thing. And I had an experience where 
I always wanted to have a little place by the coast down here in Cornwall. And at the time, I didn't have it. And he was telling me about these intention boards where you can put pictures and stuff up on the fridge and all this sort of stuff. And you just look at it every day and it, it somehow sort of gets imprinted onto your consciousness or whatever, you know. And then gradually these things will come to you. You know, that was his story, you know. Um, and I didn't take it too seriously. I, I, one of his ideas was to get a piece of paper and write down what you wanted, be specific, and then basically hide it away and forget about it. So I must have been bored one day, and I did this. <laughs> and I did forget about it, totally forgot about it. And then I was clearing out some clothes from my wardrobe, and I found this jacket, and in the pocket was a little bit of paper all sort of folded up. And I just didn't know what it was. I thought, well, I have a look, so I opened it up. And it said something like, I want to own a flat, an apartment, with a sea view in St. Ives, which is where I am now. Um, and it's not actually this property, it's the one I had before. And, um, and it suddenly dawned on me that I did have that property. But when I bought that property, I had no idea. I'd forgotten completely that I'd ever, you know, written that out. And I actually made a point of doing it. And, that, and it did have a CPU, and it wasn't brilliant CPU, but it did have a CPU. So it made me think, well, this stuff works. And, well, I don't have to tell you guys, but I, I basically um, decided I would try on a slightly bigger scale. And I also decided to write my first book, so I did it more as a therapy for myself, just to write down all these memories of all this weird stuff that happened over the years. So this was about 2015. And basically, since I did both of these things, my life completely changed. Oh, wow. That's significant. Yeah. Yeah. I can't really talk about exactly why online, but on here, but. uh, but when, when, I, when I see it, I couldn't tell you. Well, I think uh, Jerry would know because he's met my partner, uh, Janice. I have. Um, so, so Janice was part of that because I, I, never, I didn't know her at the time. But I just had this vision of, well, I don't mean like a vision. Uh, just a dream, if you like, of what I, what I wanted. What I mean, you know, is this personality, this the way they would be, the way they would look, um, the, 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 the things that they would be interested in, and basically everything. I, I was conscious of this time, everything I asked for. And again, when I got what I asked for, I wasn't aware that I'd got what I'd asked for until probably six or nine months, maybe more later. When it suddenly dawned on me that I, I had this memory of actually doing this focusing intent. And I, I don't do it now, and I should do it because I know it works. But I, I think I just, the last sort of three years, it, it's been a bit of a uh, sort of hurricane blowing through my life. And it's, um, you know, I haven't had time for doing that sort of thing, really. 
Um, but I know it works. I, I think if you focus your intelligence, you can, and that ties into what we were saying about the nature of life and uh, health. It's, it's more to do with the, I, I can't, I can't put it into words, but I think it's more like the astral bodies, the body. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to stop that because I'm just rambling. But, <laughs> I yeah, sorry. I I wanted to before we, I I wanted to get in something that you had mentioned in a this was a pre a recent dream the one with your mom, and yeah. it 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 sparks something that's currently I'm seeing a big trend in Mark, and in the mm -hmm. last I'd say two weeks, and I'm hearing it from a lot of people and I'm experiencing it, but I've been experiencing yeah, it a little right. bit. A little bit longer where the current where people are experiencing loved ones coming back um, recently including one of my favorite astrologers Joni Petrie who never really shares that kind of content and and brought actually brought it up in public so I'm wondering what that has to do um, what's going on that so many people right now are dreaming of their dead that have passed, their family members, right. including dogs that's and cats. Scary. No, right. Yeah, that's scary, actually. Um, I, mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I did have a similar one with my dad before he died. That was um, about 2012. He was in a, he had um, uh, the dementia. Vascular dementia, and he was in a residential home. And I had this, I, he, he got to a point where he, he, could, where he just couldn't talk, he couldn't communicate. And I was, I was wondering at the time you know, whether the intelligence and the old dad was still there underneath that sort of, uh, you know, broken down body. Um, and whether the spirit was still the same as it always was, you know. And obviously, I was worried about that at the time because, I mean, it was too late. He got this thing and he was dying. And uh, I had this dream one night where I just went through the top. I assumed I went through the window. I don't know. Uh, sort of astrally. And I remember, I didn't know where I was going at the time. I was just, I just imagined me uh, flying down on the top of a sort of tower or something, inside a building. And there was a man sat in an armchair with his back to me. And I was heading straight for his back, with his head. And it wasn't until I got really quite close, he turned around, and I sort of recognised him from the back of his head anyway, because he had very short hair at the time. And it was my father, and he turned around, and he smiled, and we, we had a hug. And um, but he was actually, you know, he wasn't dead. He was um, he didn't die for another few months after that, possibly a year actually. Um, but obviously he was. Well, I was out of body, and at some level he was. He, that answered my question. At some level, you're still the same. You know, you're the same character. Well, that's one. That's one. That's one. Uh, Version anyway, it depends who you talk to. 
Yeah, it's also fascinating. And I find it very encouraging personally on, and if it, and when I say I, of course, clearly I'm speaking from my ego self, but on a deeper, bigger level, I find it uh, reassuring also that there seems to be, so, so it's it's not about the sense of ego for me. It's about the sense of what we've attained through this life. What, you know, so the lessons I have learned through this experience of being niche and um, that one can retain that at least bits of it and bits of the other people that are driving their cars that we encounter, right? That, that we experience their ego selves too, that we come to love and know Uh, there's something endearing that, that uh, I hold on to uh, out of love and out of possibly hubris uh, that that some of that lives on and we can yeah. access it. Yeah, it's just, it's the, you know, I know my, my mom used to say when I was young, she, she was um, not overly religious, but she did, you know, she, she, she believed in uh, Jesus and so on. But I, yeah, that's what I was talking about. She wasn't like a regular church girl, but she had this sort of quiet faith, and she sort of lived by by the rule, you know, by the teachings of Jesus. And so, so she she just was a good person, and she's just, you know, a very nice person for the class around the people. Um, but she didn't go around sort of, you know, patronising uh, those who did she like. Um, so I don't know why I mentioned this. <laughs> it was a piece of comment. This has been such a great pleasure to speak with you, Mark. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. So thank you, thank you. Likewise, I can barely hear you, Mark. Okay, I'm closer to the phone now. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're kind of breaking up. You're very wobbly. Like someone streaming Netflix at the same time. <laughs> it's all good. It was, I was, I'm holding my headphones really tight to try and make out every word, but I've done well. <laughs> Only two people bitched. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, it's been really <laughs> awesome talking to you. Did you have anything you wanted to plug uh, for the show? Um, yeah, but uh, I've got my uh, Spirits of Cornwall, the Hawks of Legacy, Volumes 1 and 2, they're on Amazon. They, they've got some good reviews on there, so I can't brag about it myself because I wouldn't believe it. I'm saying, but other people seem to have done it for me. So, um, one of them is actually a professor I know that's extremely honest and would have told me, you know, if it was crap, he would have told me. So, I'm very proud of the piece of review. Yeah, and there's uh, lots of good reviews on Amazon too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm very pleased with that. It's uh, it's a long time coming that book. Um, you know, I, I, I had a sort of idea what I wanted to do with it. It was it was never going to be just like a list of you know, here's a here's a ghost book, here's a ghost book. I there's like a thread running for all of them and the history and the culture of the place and so that. My, my own sort of background as to how I came here. And uh, it was almost like it was almost 
it in for me. It was when you felt that. I mean, the guy that wrote the book died shortly before I published it, like a few months before. And he was one of my earliest uh, sort of paranormal heroes, really. And I eventually met later by Michael Williams. And sometimes I just felt that he was, um, you know, giving me the right words at the right time, you know. Right. I've always thought, I've thought back on books I've written and I don't really remember them. And I always think it's like women, how women don't remember having a baby, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. If you, if you don't look at it for a long time and go back to it, you think, well, this is good. Yeah, right. I, I wrote this. I can't believe I wrote this. I know. Yeah, exactly. Wow, where did the artwork come from? I'm not just out of the way the phrases are. And that is important to me anyway, because I, I sort of come from that tradition of love in literature anyway. I mean, love in literature, I like you know, It meant with a particular bias towards this area. Um, people like Dennis Baker and uh, Daphne Gregorio, people like that. Don Wilson, of course. But he was, he was not so much literate as factual, you know. But just the style that he wanted to write and the style that was like conversational. Uh, but not too dumb down, but just sort of approachable. And, uh, as if you have a sort of chat about the camera, you know, but to go into a bit of depth as well. Right. Well, anyway. thank you. Uh, <laughs> thanks again for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you. I hope to see you in September. I, yeah, um, September. What's that? Let me ask you The 25th, I think. Strange realities. Yes. Yeah, I'm not 100. I want to. I want to go, but I've got to do a uh, lecture at Truro, uh, at 20 miles up the road from here. Okay. Well, uh, if you're if you're so, here, if you're here. We'll definitely. Yeah, well, I have, okay. well, we definitely want to do it. With it. I think I'll be there. It's just I I have a time limit on how long I can stay in America. Yeah. Uh, it's like three months, and I've, I've got to go there in April. So, uh, but children. Hopefully we get to see yeah. you, and if not, we will definitely meet again. Thank you, everyone, for listening tonight for our early okay, show. Sorry about the technical issues yeah, it's totally cool, totally cool. <laughs> Hang on one second, Mark, and we'll just say goodbye to everyone else. Um, next week we have an obelisk show with Walter Wesley, so that should be really interesting. Nish, guys. And Sirolta from and Sirolta, the Lulisome. right. Yeah, we'll open with the astrology segment. Right, it should be a great show. Can't wait. And it's the uh, snow moon. Yes. And I have one thing. Anyone that has made it this far in, uh, if you have recently had dreams with uh, recent, or not recent, but your, your personal dead, family members, animals, if in, in this last, say, two months, if you're in our Discord, please open that chat up. And let's discuss this in the general room, I suppose. I want to hear... In, in Discord, hear from, she means. In Discord, yes. Uh, because I'm hearing... People are contacting me privately with this info, and I'm hearing it in the world of other people talking. And so let's, let's parse this out. Let's suss it out. Thank you. All right, All right everyone. Have a good night. Bye-bye.